Hello and welcome to Breaking Ground, Isaiah Amper's podcast focused on the real estate market. I'm Avi Jacobs, Compliance Tax Manager in Isaiah Amper's Real Estate Service Group. And I'm joined here today by Terry Johnson, who partners with Isaiah Amper on our cost segregation and energy programs. We're excited to launch a new series on Breaking Ground dedicated to all things cost segregation. Terry, why don't you introduce yourself? Great to be here today, Avi. And yes, I have been working in the area of cost segregation, I think, since 2004. It's always fun to jump on these podcasts and talk about cost segregation and how to make them part of your real estate deals. So whether you're a real estate investor, a property owner, or a financial professional, cost segregation is an important tool to help you optimize your investments and harness the full financial benefits of your commercial property. Great. So many people think it's only useful with new construction or acquisitions, but it can actually be used throughout the real estate life cycle. Terry, can you comment or expand on that? Yeah, it's one of my favorite topics, Avi, because it's interesting that in the past, we've always, most people think of a cost segregation to be done when you're either constructing a new asset or you're acquiring an asset. But if you really are thinking in terms of maximizing your tax benefits, you should be looking at the entire life cycle of real estate because, you know, an asset goes through sometimes many different iterations of itself during the life cycle of real estate. So if you think about it, when you're planning a project and you are designing, you want to make sure that you're choosing, for example, materials that possibly would be shorter life materials versus longer life materials. So that can be very helpful to plan into a project. Obviously, when you're acquiring or um, new construction, renovating, that's perfect. But also on the back end, when you are looking at the asset and making some changes for whatever reason, whether it's renovating, uh, repositioning the asset, cost segregation comes back into the into play there as well. So we really do see a lot of opportunity to use cost seg throughout the life cycle of real estate. And one of the things we're going to do is post on the web where the podcast is on the Eisner Amper website a little graphic on the life cycle of real estate to give you that information. And really, if you want to read more in detail of when you can use the cost segregation study. Okay. And many people that I speak to, they, they think a cost seg can only be done in the first year. However, you know, we're obviously asked daily, you know, when would be the best time to do a cost seg? So for me, I find that, you know, depending on what the, you know, what the idea of, you know, the outlook of the asset is and what their plans are with the asset, how... How many rental units do they already have, you know, rented out? And um, just looking at different different metrics involved in the property at the time of, of acquisition, that really can change when it makes sense to do the cost seg. So, for example, if we have a client that's, you know, already generating a, a loss for the year, it might make sense to, you know, push off that cost seg into the second year and utilize the study then and just do a 3115 and kind of do a look back study so that they could capture all that depreciation that they missed in the first year, but then they don't expand on those losses they're already generating. They're waiting till the asset comes into, you know, comes into an income stream, um, you know, net, net cash flow positive. Um, so what if a taxpayer discovers, you know, that cost seg is an option after a few years of ownership? You know, how can they benefit from a cost seg study? You know, 
the look back study, Terry, do you want to go into what, you know, what the process is of a look back? Sure. And, you know, it's interesting kind of how you get to that point where you haven't done a cost segregation study in year one. And sometimes it's just that, as you mentioned, Avi, you don't have the, the you're, you're not in a positive cash flow position. So you really don't need the losses. So when you, you know, after a couple of years, you realize that you're looking for a way to offset income, this is a great tool. So that many times is when we'll get that request for what we call a look-back study. So let's talk a little bit about the look-back study. You're literally going back in time to when you place the asset in service. So let's say it's been three years, and you're going to pick up that depreciation up into the current year as if you had been depreciating it in an accelerated manner from day one. But you you're not amending the tax returns. And I think that's a common misconception. You're literally bringing that forward into the current year. And Avi, you mentioned a, a filing a 3115 change in accounting method. So you, you have to alert basically the IRS, hey, we're changing our accounting method. We're going to use the accelerated method and we're going to pick up that depreciation as if we had started on day one into the current year. So if all of a sudden you're in a positive cash flow position and you're looking for losses, you're not, you're going to pick up, say, in that scenario, three years of that accelerated depreciation into the current year. And it can be very effective. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we also see with clients where, especially if they have like a portfolio of assets and properties. Right. What we, we see is, is that a client might decide, might, you know, not do a cost egg study in year one because they're still in, you know, cash flow negative. But then they know they're going to plan to sell an asset in a future year and they want to offset those gains from the sale. They'll end out, you know, mapping out a couple of years ahead of depreciation. So, for example, we actually did a portfolio here in Eisner Amper where a client had 39 buildings. And, you know, we did all the studies now so that way they can map out the next few years of when to integrate each of those studies to make sure they're covering their income. So, They'll just implement the cost studies up till they get to, you know, that negative taxable income. And then, you know, they'll give themselves a little bit of a buffer because they have the opportunity to do so. And then they'll move forward the cost studies for the other entities into for the other properties into the following year or maybe even two years following. So that way they can just implement them over time and really offset as much income as possible within a planning, you know, a planning method. So you know, now let's let's take a step forward and say how, you know, when we're planning ahead, it's not only on acquisition studies, but it's also on renovation scenarios. So, you know, when we have a client that knows they're going to be doing renovations and they want to plan ahead, what can they do with the cost egg study to help, you know, lead into a successful renovation project? Yeah, let me jump in on, the, on that, Avi. And I think you know, we've mentioned several times in the podcast about the word planning. So we're planning, you know, it's so important to really plan ahead on these projects and understand what you're going to be doing with that asset. So we talked about the life cycle of real estate. So let's say that we buy a manufacturing facility and a couple of years down the road, we wanted to make some significant changes. So there are many things that you can do that you might not be aware of with a cost segregation. And one is right now there's the concept of qualified improvement property, which is any improvement to the interior portion of a building that's not structural and it's interior 
and it doesn't expand the footprint of the building, you can actually, and we'll talk more about this in detail in a later podcast, but you get this idea of bonus depreciation, that qualified improvement property is available um, as for bonus depreciation. So you can imagine if you're spending $2 million on renovating basically the interior portion of a building, whether it's an office building, tenant sit out, or as I mentioned, a manufacturing facility, you want to plan this into your project to do a new cost segregation. The other thing is you can write off the assets that you're removing as long as it's not the same year you bought it. And you can write off the remaining depreciable basis of that asset under the tangible property regs, which is another podcast we hope to do in the future. So all of these things, when you're looking at a renovation, not only are you getting your normal accelerated depreciation, bonus depreciation, but you've got this qualified improvement property, the opportunity to write off assets that are being removed. And in some cases, you could even do some expensing under 179 or the tangible property regs. So it gets to be obviously a pretty big undertaking when you talk about planning to make sure you're not looking at it in a linear fashion. What is everything we can do with all the regs that have come out over the last few years to take advantage of those regulations and make sure we're maximizing the opportunity to accelerate depreciation? Yeah, and it, to just expand on that, you know, obviously the reason why we're looking at those write-offs and, you know, looking at those expenses while we're going to talk about them in more detail in a later podcast is because when it comes time to sell the property, there's not going to be that recapture on those items because they weren't. When you write them off, you're removing them from your capitalized assets. And when you expense it, you're not capitalizing it. So therefore, your overall basis in the property is going to remain lower for the time of when you sell. So those are all very important things that, you know, when we do the renovations and when we do the initial cost, like we're really mapping out and planning ahead of time. So I think that's really important and that's great. And, you know, like you said, we're going to be speaking more on the bonus depreciation in a future podcast, but it is important that, you know, we do mention that bonus is something that came into play recently and, you know, it's changing constantly. So place and service dates are going to be very important here. And we'll expand on that topic on the next episode. So thank you very much, Terry. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode. Please stay tuned for the next installment of Breaking Ground and have a great day.